ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. We find the defendant guilty. Hello, welcome back. <laughs> that was so cute. Oh, oh my gosh, so genuine. Oh. Meanwhile, wow. I'm like, hey guys. You're like, hey, hey. guys. <laughs> it's spooky month. It is spook spooks. <laughs> yeah, I hope you guys had a good spooky month. Yeah. It was pretty spooky. It was pretty spooky. <gasps> Speaking of spooky guys, before I literally go into this case, I officially live next to a pedophile now. Ooh, that is spooky. I told Amber about it. I my. my i'm telling a story gosh i'm trying to protect you you're a child <laughs> you are a two-year-old little child um quick story time i literally got a notice in the mail that a level three sex offender lives near me and it had a description of like what he did to become a sick fuck and basically he was working at a retail store and he was fondling children female children while he was at work and he was putting like smiley stickers on them while he did it yeah i told amber about this already but i was like dude seriously if you haven't followed us on instagram you know that i already had to deal with somebody getting potentially murdered next to me and then the next week we have somebody moving in that's like a pedophile i was like dude i can't handle this anymore i mean it wasn't next week but it seemed like it It was like a month it and a half like but it. still yeah. it feels so soon it's like this whole year just like nonsense I don't know. I thought since this is a true crime podcast, you guys would appreciate that. You're welcome. And also, this is going up after Spooky Month. Yeah, this is going <laughs> up after Spooky Month. But I'm just saying we record, we pre-record our episodes. But um, yeah. You're welcome. You're fucking welcome. So anyways, if you don't already know the title and what we're going over, we are going to cover The Boy in the Box, which is so huge. This is probably it's, one yeah. of the biggest like cases. That we've done. Well, I think, like, one of the most well-known, because, I mean, BuzzFeed Unsolved did it, so I feel like... Oh! oh. Ooh, it's fancy now. I mean, the first time I actually heard it was on BuzzFeed Unsolved, actually. Oh, okay. That's, like, real shit. I was like, ooh, what's this? This looks fucked up, and I watched it, and I was like, wow, I love true crime now. And that's how we started the podcast. I'm just kidding. BuzzFeed Unsolved. (laughs) BuzzFeed, yeah, so BuzzFeed BuzzFeed did it. I mean, there's, like, countless, countless people who have done this, rightfully so. It's, it's, It's really interesting. So, are you ready? I mean, I'm as ready as I (laughs) ever will be. And I will be posting, and I have in my notes, just a forewarning, that I will be posting pictures, and they are not easy to look at. So, okay, they're pretty disturbing photos. Hmm. We all like a good disturbing photo, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, on February 19th, 57... A little boy between the age of two years old and seven years old was found in a cardboard box in a wooded area of the neighborhood Fox Chase in Pennsylvania. Two different people would actually stumble upon the body of this child before it was even reported to the police. Are you kidding me? No. Uh, why? It's like the well, bystander I have the story. effect? I have the story. Okay. I really do. Um, the first person that saw the remains of this little boy was an unnamed man and he was checking some muskrat traps that he had set up in the Mm -hmm. area and he was like scared that he was illegally hunting he was like i don't want my traps taken away i don't want anything taken away so i'm not going to go to the police because they're going to i'm going to get in trouble for these traps so he literally just didn't go to the police because of his muskrat traps first of all yeah because that's a that's a decent valid like a valid excuse it's never valid now the following day 
A second person would unfortunately stumble upon this body. During the evening of February 23rd, a young college student named Frederick Benoit was in this wooded area. Now, the reason why he was in this wooded area was mm. not innocent. What you doing, Frederick? Frederick Benoit. Mm. Frederick Benoit. Frederick Mahoy Benoit. Mahoy Benoit. Mahoy Benoit. I really hope everybody understands that. If you don't, you're too young for us, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Now, he was actually a pretty regular peeping Tom. Nearby, there was this place called the Good Shepherd Home, and the Good Shepherd Home was basically a shelter for troubled young women. And Frederick would often creep around and stalk and watch the young girls like a creep. He was a college boy. I'm not saying that's an excuse, but he just wanted to check out the girls. Ugh. Now, on his way to the Good Shepherd home, he also discovered the body of a young boy in a box. The same young boy the other unknown man discovered the day previously. Oh, my gosh. You would rather protect yourself than to try and, I don't know, help this boy? dead body. Or at least get that boy (laughs) justice. Like, that is so selfish. So selfish. Especially the muskrat guy. Like, your fucking traps, bro. Your traps, bro? Yeah. Oh, my muskrat traps. Like, this guy, I'm not granting him, but I'm especially pissed off at the muskrat guy. Absolutely. Anyway, so this would be obviously the same boy that Mm -hmm. the man previously, the other day, found. Frederick actually planned on not telling the police, again, like, the first time he was afraid to admit to the police the real reason why he was even in the forest in the first place. Yeah. Ironically enough, the following day, he did decide to confess to a priest about it, about peeping and about seeing the body. And the priest was like, bro, you need to, like, do the right thing and report this body. Good for the priest, though. Yeah. Good for the, I mean, he should be doing that, right? True. Now, when he did go to the police, at first he did try to downplay his actions, and he was like, oh, I just saw a bunny run into the forest. I just wanted to make sure that that bunny was okay, so I um, also ran into the forest to also make sure that bunny was okay, and I stumbled upon the body. Exactly like that? (laughs) I don't know, but no, it was like 1957, so he felt like, well, you see here, I was just seeing a a bunny crosses the street, just a little cottontail, and I just was like, let's check upon the welfare, like, you know, probably... (laughs) I really hope that wasn't offensive to people from the 1950s. Ageism. <laughs> uh, Molly is an ageist, okay? Um, I'm actually a method actor. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I, sometimes I really question our friendship. So if you're listening, guys, like, <laughs> I, I hereby release Molly as a friend. <laughs> so you guys can now keep her. So he did later confess to the police the real reason why he was there. And it didn't really... It wasn't really that important compared to the a situation. Yeah, yeah, the situation that was literally happening in front of them. During the investigation, we will dive way deeper into that, but Frederick was obviously a suspect at first. Of course. They so had they, to roll him out. They had to roll him out. So they did give him a polygraph test and he passed it. So Good. go Frederick. So on the twenty-sixth, three days after the discovery of the body, the police finally went out to the location to investigate. So Obviously, the first guy saw it. Three days later, the police weren't even known about it. So three days later, they finally get to go to the location and investigate. And sure enough, the boy was in the same location and the body in the box. Now, the condition of the body as far as injuries is so fucking disturbing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And if you know the story, you know that it's so fucking disturbing. The body was found fully nude and wrapped in a plaid style blanket. He was put inside a cardboard box and was originally it was a box from JCPenney that had a baby bassinet. So it was a box for a baby bassinet, which Mm. is just really sad yeah this boy was covered in bruises mainly on the left side of his body and most of these bruises were really really fresh oh shit the medical examiner said that before the boy died he received many blows to his head and the cause of death was blunt force trauma the hair on this boy's head had been buzzed off very haphazardly And in a very reckless style. Yeah. Right before he died. This was obvious because clumps of his hair were still found, like, clinging and attached to his body. Like, he just had gotten a fresh cut. I wonder if it was to, like, embarrass him. There is, like, multiple theories, and we'll get into them, but the main theory was the identity theory. I mean, yeah, but... Was a a half-assed job of hiding. I guess if you're, like, just trying to hide, like, the identity just on the physical appearance of Well, this was clear. I mean, not clearly, but we could all speculate that this all happened probably really fast. And really, people who are in fits of rage, if you're going to beat the living shit out of a child. Yeah, and they're probably in panic just trying to do whatever they can to not get caught. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, panic mode. Yeah, plus it was in the 50s. So, in reality, like, DNA testing, come on. There was really none. Yeah. And that's a big thing in this story that we'll definitely get into. He had what was only to be described as surgical scars on his ankles and his groin area. There was also a very bizarre L-shaped scar underneath his chin and also a scar on the left side of his chest. So just some really weird yeah. Like the ankles thing, that kind of really threw me off. I was like, why would he have surgical scars on his ankles? I mean, if you break an ankle. Because, I mean, they examined his bones. They never yeah. said anything about him having any broken bones. Mm, I don't know. Maybe. Or have had a broken bone, you know. Maybe he was stabbed. So he only weighed 30 pounds and was only three feet tall. And the medical Mm. examiner stated that that was because he was very, very malnourished. 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 (laughs) And he hadn't eaten very much before his death. He should have been at least three to seven years old, but Mm -hmm. he was only hitting the measurements of a two-year-old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so he was just, like, so tiny and emaciated. baby. X-rays of the body showed that there was arrested growth, which I have the definition for in case we don't know. Okay. So if you don't know what arrested hit me. So if you don't know what arrested growth is, uh, the definition is: this is a condition that affects the growth palates in the arms or the legs in children and adolescents whose bodies are still growing. Mm. Growth palates are located near each end of the humerus, the upper arm bone, the lower arm bone the thigh bone, and the shin bone. And basically how they can tell that you have had arrested growth is when they do the x-rays, they see these lines in our bones. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the medical examiner, so I don't know how they know, but they basically can read these lines and say, okay, this person was not developing correctly. This person's bone should have been this long, depending on their age, and it was this long. So basically what they're saying is that he didn't have enough anything to be able to grow at the proper pace for his age. His lips were very, very dry and bloody, indicating extreme dehydration. Mm -hmm. His body was so incredibly underweight that his ribcage was protruding under his skin. (gasps) 
Oh, yeah. gosh. Poor baby. Like, this is just a slew of yeah. fuckery. It was determined that the boy had blue eyes and blonde to light brown hair. Interesting enough, his nails were neatly trimmed. What? Considering his state. And That's- this a weird kink think about that though when we go into the theories because that is really interesting the medical examiner also stated that he might have had eye treatment recently okay they knew this because he actually had dye inside of his eye now from like the dilation well i'm gonna read the definition because i've never had eye work i don't even have glasses you have glasses but i've never had eye work so i had to look up what does that mean what does it mean when Somebody has dye in their eye. How do we know that's for treatment, right? So I looked it up and there's... To sanitize? Um, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. Just go on. No, it's you okay. You were literally like explaining it to me and I was like <laughs> cutting you off. <laughs> no, it's okay. So there's this thing called a fluorescent eye stain test mm-hmm. and it can help the doctor detect corneal issues, small foreign objects or particles in the eye. They can also detect abnormal tear production this test may also help your doctor determine if if you if your contact lenses are irritating you or causing damage. Oh, okay. So I don't really know what this dye does. <laughs> Again, I'm not a medical examiner. I don't know what the bones do. I don't know what the dye does, but I tried my best to look into maybe Explaining ex- explanations. It, yeah. And from what I was reading, it was pretty maybe obvious that he might have also had an infection in his eye. So okay. they were the dye could have been trying to find what's going on in his yeah. eye. Yeah. Okay. Now, we obviously don't know if the dye was in his eye for that, an infection. The reason could be he was living in a dirty environment and something got in his eye, but there's really not 100% reason why that was in there in the first place. Okay. The esophagus also contained a dark brown liquid that was believed to be vomit. Oh, no. They were not able to determine the exact time of the death, and that was mainly because it was February in Philly, and it's really cold. That's fair, and it kind of just slows down the... Yeah. Yeah, so, like, colder environments obviously slowed it down. Warmer environments would obviously speed it up. up, Mm -hmm. So he was essentially being preserved. Preserved, absolutely. They did find a number of interesting items when they found him. They found a boy's hat in the color blue. They found a child's scarf. And they also found a handkerchief with the letter G on it. Is it weird that my, like, mind just automatically went to G-G-G-G unit? (laughs) My God, yeah. (laughs) Back in 57, G-G-G unit. (laughs) So because this was back in 1957, the chances of them being able to find any forensic evidence at the crime scene was basically basically fucking impossible. So the investigation and finding out who this little boy was started. 400,000 flyers were made with this little boy's face on it. And, yeah, a lot. And they posted these flyers all over Philly. They also sent them to different police departments around the country. They posted them in gas stations, post offices, and they were even put in envelopes when people got their gas bill. So you get your gas bill and you open up and you see, essentially, not to sound messed up, but a horrifying photo of a A dead child. I mean, obviously, we, we need to spread the word, but that's still like, what the hell? Yeah. Shocking. And this photo is honestly one of the most famous John Doe photos mm-hmm. that you've probably ever seen. Yeah. And we all, I agree. when I post it, you'll be like, you'll you know. might know, you'll know where it's from. 
They were hoping that these flyers would bring up anybody who'd recognize this little boy, and unfortunately, they got nowhere. Mm -hmm. After they decided the flyers just weren't doing anything, that's when they morbidly decide to dress the little boy's body up and prop him up in a fashion that made him look like he was still alive. And they took photos of that, Mm -hmm. and they released them in hopes that this might trigger a memory of somebody being like, oh, yeah. that's what he, which is kind of weird because he looked so dead. Like, that sounds gross, but he did. He literally looked, he had like bruises all over yeah. his face. And I don't think anybody is going to look at that and think, oh, yeah, that's yeah. what my kid looked like when they were alive. Okay. Or anybody would think a kid would look like that. Police took his fingerprints and hoping that this would maybe later help identify him. And they also did a facial reconstruction of what maybe a better version of what the boy yeah. might have looked like when he was alive. And they still got nothing at all. Yeah. Now, getting further into the investigation, they realized that this boy that was in the box, the box had a shipping label. Mm. So they tried to see the shipping label, if it had any clues. And the shipping yeah. label said that it was from Peru and then... After Peru, it got sent to Indiana, and after Indiana, that's when it arrived at the JCPenney in Philadelphia. They soon discovered that this bassinet was only one of 12 of the same bassinets that were on sale at this JCPenney store. Oh. Yeah, so there was only a select number. Yeah, we're getting somewhere. Oh, yeah, baby. They were sold for about $7 each. A $7 bassinet. Oh, what a time to be alive. What a time, what a time. I know. (laughs) You can't even get a bassinet for like 60 bucks anymore. You can get a $7 bassinet from OfferUp, I bet. (laughs) They were actually able to track down what JCPenney it was. And the last bassinet was actually sold on February 16th. So one week before they discovered the body. They questioned this JCPenney and they asked them if they had any records of people who were buying these bassinets. And of course, no. Everybody who bought that bassinet bought in cash and there was no records and no credit cards were used. I fucking... I hate people. It's just weird how things like Odd. that work. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Where's hmm. your alibi, JC Penny? That's suspicious. That's weird. <laughs> the box was sent to the FBI to see if they could pull any Prince. fingerprints, and that failed as well. So they decide to dig into the items that were found at the crime scene and see if they can get any leads from that. Now, the blue hat that they found, it had a tag on it that said Robin's Bald Eagle Hat and Cat company Mm -hmm. which is a really long name but whatever (laughs) (laughs) they started to question the owner of this company and her name was hannah robbins and she stated that that hat was also only one in 12 which is very weird when i saw that i was like wait what so this there's only 12 of these and there's only 12 of those dozens that's just weird oh that makes sense a dozen (laughs) (laughs) She said that she actually remembered selling this exact hat to a man. And the man who purchased this hat came in right after and asked if there was an additional leather strap. So I guess this particular hat had things that you could sew on it. She only remembered this because he was the only guy that came back and was like, hey, do you have this particular strap? When she described the man, she said that he was in his like late 20s. He had blonde hair. She said that he did look similar to the boy in the box. Mm. 
but they also had no records of the purchase and they couldn't even find yeah who it even was and it was another dead end fucking mysteries all over the place <laughs> so many mysteries yeah this whole story is like oprah it's like giving yeah. away you get a mystery you, you get, get a mystery. mystery you get a mystery try to solve it so people decide to look at the blanket that the boy was wrapped in the blanket had actually been cut into two separate parts and like the middle was missing for whatever Whoa. reason it also trophy s- i mean maybe it also seemed to have been like recent recently washed weird mm. they discovered that this blanket had actually been mass produced by the thousands and the amount w- that was made was so much that there was absolutely no Nothing, way possible yeah. that they could have even tried to figure yeah. out who whose it was if, if you said a dozen again i, I would have been like that's it i'm fucking i'm, I'm gone out. like I'm that's out. creepy yeah. so five months after the body was found this is when they decide to finally lay the little boy to rest they gave him a headstone, and on the headstone, it said, Heavenly Father, bless this unknown boy. Hmm. Now, in 1998, they actually exhumed his body in the hopes to gather more DNA evidence, and they were not able to get any because technology. Yeah. And as technology grows, in 2001, they actually were able to successfully take DNA from his teeth. Ooh, okay. So after they got the DNA, they actually buried him at a different cemetery at Ivy Hill Cemetery, and they got him, like, a better headstone. Oh, that's so And it's really nice, and it's really pretty, and it says, America's Unknown Child. Really, though? Really, though. And that's actually his other, I guess, moniker or nickname. What the other... Alias. Alias. If you don't know him by The Boy in the Box, then you definitely know him by America's Unknown Child. Yeah. Now, we're going to kind of dive into the theories surrounding this case. And this is fucking fascinating as hell. All of them are. All of them are. I'm fucking ready. (laughs) I'm here. I'm ready. Do it. So the first theory was that he was a foster kid in the foster system and something went wrong. So in 1960, one of the medical examiners working on the case, his name was Remington Bristow. He essentially dedicated his life. I'm going to find out who this boy is and what the fuck happened to him. He literally endlessly... Did everything in his power. I love you, Remy. I know, I love guys like that. They're, or anybody like that yeah. that just dedicates their time. To just, like, help others. To help others. Mm-hmm. Now, he decided that he wanted to hire a psychic because there was absolutely... <laughs> Amber's Sorry. face just laughed. She's like, hey, dudes. <laughs> it's interesting, actually, what happened. Yeah, okay. But that's... I do the same thing, I just thing thought too. it was funny because it was just, like... He was so he did everything. Science. In his, yeah, he yeah. was so in science, and all of a sudden he's like, "I'm gonna hire a psychic." Like what? <laughs> well, they had two very not, different vibes. Oh, absolutely. But he was like, "I'm gonna try every everything, option, no yeah. matter what. What the fuck?" Yeah. And he just had nothing else to go off, so he was like, "Somebody give me something. A psychic could give me something." Yeah. Her name was Florence Sternfield, and no. And she had told Remy that a mile away from the site of the body, there was a really big mansion. And in that big mansion, it was also a foster home. Oh. And that's where the boy came from. That's How what she did said. How she know that? Was there really a mansion? Girl. Girl. I'm fucking dying. Oh, man. Police decided because... And she's from New Jersey, so she wasn't even from the yeah. area. So yeah. How could she know? So police decided that, well, we have nothing else to go off of, so let's go check out this foster home. 
And there actually was a foster home one mile away in a mansion that used to be a mansion that got turned into a foster home. Mm. (laughs) Okay, psychic. I see you. (laughs) Okay, Florence. Yeah, Flo. So the owners of this foster home was a married couple named Arthur and Catherine Nicoletti. They also had a daughter, and this was Catherine's daughter, not Arthur's daughter. So (laughs) she had a previous marriage and had a daughter named Anna Marie. Okay. And all three of them did run the foster home, and they basically would just bring in children of the state. I was thinking children of the corn when you said that. Children of the, and I was like, corn. Children of the corn. (laughs) (laughs) When the police interviews them, nothing of value comes up. Of course not. However, it never does. However, in 1961, the family, so one year after, the family decided to move out of this mansion and they have an estate sale. Mm. Bristow, Remington Bristow, he decides he's going to check this out. Maybe he might find something interesting. We love you, Remy. We love you, Remy. While he was checking out this estate sale, he sees a bassinet identical to the one that was in, in the that box. box. Well, the original box. Yes, everything what? matched it perfectly. On the clothing lines outside, there were blankets that also matched perfectly with the one that the boy was no. wrapped in. So because Bristow was so dead set on this, he thought the family must be connected. Yeah. There is no way. He he was like, I solved it. Yeah. Like, I solved it. <laughs> this is my case now. I'm the captain. <laughs> I am the captain now. He believed that Anna Marie... The daughter actually gave birth to this son, and he was illegitimate. And basically, back in this time, it was very, very taboo and very shameful for mm-hmm. a woman to have a child without a, a husband. Exactly. Yeah. So if you don't have a husband, it's shame. It's just shameful. And he believed that the stepfather, Arthur, couldn't stand the shame and the embarrassment. So yeah. he decides to, like, take care of the child or himself. Or it was his child i think it was a love child (laughs) wow bristow was so stuck on this theory and actually reached out to author author arthur so bristow was so stuck on this theory that he actually reached out to arthur and asked him if he could take a polygraph test Uh and he said no of course he said no no. that's suspicious In 1998, Bristow actually sadly passes away. (gasps) No, Remy. Yeah, so he doesn't get any closure on the situation. Um, And other investigators, they decide to take the case on and kind of go with this theory to rule this out. Now, they needed to confirm, was Anna Marie the mother of this little boy or not? Okay. So they go back to the Nicoletti home. Yes. And they ask for... DNA. DNA. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when they grab the DNA, well, actually, before I mention the DNA, they discovered that Catherine, the mother, had passed away. <gasps> Arthur married Anne Marie. So, now. Boom, baby! <laughs> Told you! <laughs> Told you! So now the stepdaughter was married to her stepdad, and that's fucking weird, but <laughs> they decide. To take a DNA test anyways, and it wasn't a match. Anna Marie was not the mother of this little boy. Fine, but I still am going to take the W for calling the <laughs> that love was a w. between them. I mean, I felt the vibe. I was like, uh. So theory number two. So this theory was that 
The son belonged to a man named Kenneth Dudley and his wife, Irene Dudley. Okay. Now, Kenneth was actually a carnival worker, and in 1961... Fucking can't man. I don't know how we do this. Every time. <laughs> Every time. Every time. It's like they follow us. Well, I guess a carnival, a pop-up carnival. A carnival does, does follow they you. Do. Mm, true. True chains. So he was a carnival worker, and in 1961, authorities saw interest in him because he had actually had 10 children, and when their 7-year-old daughter turned up dead from neglect, Shit. malnourishment... They were instantly suspects. Absolutely. They were like, mm, here's a pattern. Yeah. Kenneth and Irene never reported their daughter dead. Instead, <gasps> they wrapped her up in a blanket. No. And put her in the woods. The same blanket? A type of blanket? Same it was of- just a blanket. And then they just put her in the woods? They like, put her in the woods. Like, that's fucking... What? When authorities looked even further, they actually discovered that seven out of the ten Dudley... No. <laughs> Amber just looked at I me with up. disdain. <laughs> Seven out of the ten Dudley children had died the exact same way, and none of them got a proper burial. Somebody call 911 because I'm about to beat some ass. <laughs> I'm the only one here, so you can not beat my ass? You really gonna throw hands? No. They, after this, realized that none of these children were the boy in the box, and they concluded that all the children that had died were theirs, and the boy in the box was not one of them. It's just weird to me that that happened so many times. Yeah. And, like, nobody even thought to check in on these, like, children that weren't being reported anymore. Like... Yeah. All right. So, we are now on the last theory of the case. Mm. This is the Wowza Magowza theory of the case. This, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I think this is the one I believe in. The it. The the it. The 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 it factor. (laughs) And, honestly, a lot of people agree with what I think. Okay. And I don't want to be biased because I've seen a lot of videos and I've read a lot of articles and this kind of seems like where everybody points towards, but you're going to, you'll see you'll, why. You'll understand why. Okay. You'll understand why. I'm fucking here for it. The last theory was, <laughs> in 2002, investigators were contacted by a psychiatrist in Ohio. Okay. The psychiatrist said that one of her patients might have some information about the boy in the box case. Mm-hmm. Which... I have a quick question. Are therapists allowed to do that? If they are suspecting harm to their client or to other people by their client, they're allowed to report to authorities only. It's Hmm. not breaking any HIPAA laws at all. Okay. Well, this woman was known only by the name M, and everywhere else, they call her M. On one source, I saw they called her Martha, but it was... It was the wiki page, guys, and I'm not going to go off of the wiki page, but the wiki said Martha, I'm just going to say M. It could have just, like, tried to protect the the licensure of that therapist as well because it loses, it breaks trust between uh, Mm -hmm. the therapist and the client, regardless if it's for their own good or not. Oh, absolutely. yeah, it's probably just to protect her. And I saw that, too, that it was, like, an identity thing. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So she claimed that her mother was highly abusive physically and also sexually. She said that her mother had purchased a little boy and that his name was Jonathan, and she had purchased this little boy in 1954 Mm. when she was just 10 years old. Yeah. So she said that they went to a house, they knocked on a door, and the person that answered the door... The mom gave them an envelope. In exchange, they gave her a little boy, a baby. Hmm. M said that the little boy couldn't speak very well and that he was kind of mentally handicapped. Okay. She said that the two years that Jonathan, or the little boy, 
was with her mother. She was extremely physically and sexually abusive to him and that oh. she forced him to live in a basement where he used the floor drain as a toilet. What and the fuck? I know. And an empty box as a bed. In February of 1957, this little boy was eating dinner, which the dinner was baked beans. We'll know why that's important later. Okay. And after the dinner, this boy had gotten sick and thrown up. Now, this mm, made... It made sense. The esophagus. <laughs> Go on. The esophagus. Dots are connecting. <laughs> M said that this really just pissed her mother off, and in a fit of rage, she threw the boy against the floor repeatedly. He lost consciousness, and when she brings him up, she says, okay, we gotta wash the kid, so she brings him to a bathtub and washes him. At some point during the bath, he ends up passing away. Mm. Now, the very interesting part about this is that the police were stunned when they heard the story because they never released the contents of the little boy's stomach. Yeah. And it was baked beans. Baked beans? beans. Yeah. Also... That's intense. Yeah, that is really intense. Also, they never released the fact that the little boy's fingers and toes were pruned up like he was submerged in water bath mm-hmm. bath so they never said any of that out and to the, the public and the puke in the esophagus and too. the puke in the esophagus could also explain him being sick so all like very mm-hmm. compelling things mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. after this m's mom decides in a f- another fit of rage that she's gonna get rid of the little boy and just shave off his hair because he had this very distinctive, beautiful hair, and you and they know this because yeah. the clumps of hair that was attached to him, healthy? they weren't really, they were healthy, yeah. and they weren't necessarily short boy hair. Oh. So she haphazardly shaves off his hair. Once she was done, M and her mother disposed of the boy's body. So she made her daughter, in what M say, uh-huh. yeah, help her dispose of this body. So they pull aside on the dirt road and they were about to take the boy out of the trunk mm-hmm. and a man stops and he says, hey, are you guys like having car trouble? Do you need help? And M's mom was like, no, we're, we don't need help. Yeah. But she also, yeah, Peace we're out. good. Like, I'm not just trying to conceal a dead body here. Like, I'm good. <laughs> Keep moving along, move along. M's mom actually purposefully stood in front of the license plate to conceal it so that they couldn't be connected to the crime. That's by her words. They reassured him they were fine, and he drove off. Of course. Once the man drove off, her mother took the boy out of the trunk, out of the car, found a discarded cardboard box nearby. And the decide- love child's box. I know, I thought that too. I was like, what if that was the box from the yeah. mansion? And they put him in the cardboard box, and that's basically yeah. how he ended up there. Now, yet another shocking piece of evidence was the police had a male witness come forward mm-hmm. a little bit after the discovery of the body saying that they saw a very similar story happening with the woman on the side of the road and they asked if they needed help. So after hearing some very compelling evidence from M, they decide to get in contact with the neighbors who live next door to M at that time. And when they talked to the neighbors, they said that they went over to M's house pretty often and they never saw a young boy. They said that M's claims were, in their terms, ridiculous. Of course they did. Yeah. How much money did they pay you? Police also, in this part, 
it just pisses me off. Police also found out that M had a history of mental health, so they immediately discredited her story. That's fucked up. Said that it was bullshit, and they moved along. Like, I get it, because your credibility is very, very low, especially if you're too up. I mean, it, it depends. It depends on the mental mental disability that you have but at the same time like it doesn't mean that just because you have mental health you know issues that you're not fully capable of of yeah understanding exactly and to me if this fucking happened to me i'd be fucking mentally ill too yeah like you also got to take into consideration like if this story was fucking true are you surprised that somebody has maybe depression or anxiety or paranoia yeah because if I fucking saw, saw all of that, that happen to and, a child... And helped dispose of the body? Well, she also said her mother was sexually abusing her as well. So, I mean, it could all be a lie. It could all be this and that. We don't know. Yeah. But the fact that people get instantly discredited because they might have mental health issues yeah. is fucked up, honestly. If that's the case, then I'm I'm invalid. Yeah, exa- exactly. Exactly. Anybody is yeah. invalid. If I have anxiety, yeah. I'm fucking invalid. Like, There's, it's just fucked up. The majority up. of the world has anxiety or a form of an anxiety disorder. Exactly. Like, the, the majority of the world, not yeah. just the United States. So. I think it's natural. Yeah. So we, again, we don't know why it took so long for M to kind of come forward with the story. Again, if she was, like, fearful of her mother, yeah. we could see why. Now, here's just another piggyback off of this theory, but also the theory that people believe that maybe this little boy was forced to grow up as a girl. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. The neighbors said that they never saw a boy. He did have long hair, and they even made a sketch, like, the police department even made a sketch of him with his long hair before it was cut, and he looked very feminine in nature. Okay. His eyebrows had also been shapened and tweezed before his death, and his fingernails... Clean. Cleanly grew. Now, does that... That kind of makes me feel like that's a possibility. Yeah. No, absolutely. Now, people also speculate that the surgical scars near his groin could have been a possible sex change surgery, either by a doctor or mutilation from the killer themselves that it makes sense it makes sense we obviously don't know or maybe an attempt an attempt exactly yeah it's just an interesting theory because if the neighbors didn't see a little boy which is probably why the person the killer decided to shave the head exactly they're trying to conceal like you said the identity it makes more sense now because it was a boy that looked or could have looked like a girl exactly and they wanted to make sure that it wasn't because obviously if you say oh well this this little boy has really you know long hair yada yada has very feminine features but in reality like it's a boy that's gonna like you're, you don't see yeah and at, at least in the especially 50s, in the, in the 50s, exactly you don't see that too often that's 100 so, percent accurate yeah. you don't especially back in the 50s yeah. where things were more like boys wear blue girls yeah. wear pink and that's the way it is yeah you get a boy with long hair put a pink dress on him yeah. who's gonna say something about we're it? more fluid exactly now but exactly. in the 50s there was cut and dry like it was cut and dry you play with dolls because you're a girl you yep. play with trucks because you're a boy Ax- absolutely and of course this is all just speculation but this is just the theories because it's still a cold case guys yeah, it's true. still a cold case and that's just what happens true. with cold cases now to this day the identity like i said is unknown, but in 2016, investigators believe that they might have him linked to a family in Memphis, Tennessee. 
Okay. So we're getting somewhere now, finally. In 2016, the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children released a more updated, modern version of what he looked like. Okay. And in 2019, a news report came out, which I'm going to play it for you because instead of regurgitating all this information... Why not just listen to it yeah. yourself? You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Maybe. I don't Maybe. know. It's, Probably it's not. It's been out for a year. So. It's been out for a year, but considering how long this case has yeah. been and how many people know about it, to that have insane. new information in 2019 like, is, like, astonishing. 80 years later. 83 that's, years later. That's fucking crazy. 82, technically, because it's 2020 now. <laughs> Math. So no, I'm going to play that for you right now. An NBC10 investigation. He was as young as four years old, beaten, stuffed in a cardboard box, and abandoned in the woods. A case so cold, police have chased hundreds of leads to dead ends. But a new tip has emerged. You think you've solved the case? I think I did. The boy's DNA, or even a unique ear, may prove this latest theory. There is a similarity. And might put a name on a grave that's read America's Unknown Boy for nearly six decades. The details of this case sent chills across Philadelphia in 1957, and it continues to frustrate investigators who still receive tips to this day. The investigators were granted exclusive access to the case, and tonight, Mitch Blocker shows us how a new tip could finally give a name to America's unknown child. His grave reads America's unknown child, unknown but not forgotten. All these toys are basically new from Christmas. Dave Drysdale is the second generation to care for the boy's grave at the Ivy Hill Cemetery. I remember my uh, father saying, we'll take care of him. We're going to take care of him. The headstone reflects about as much as is known about the boy buried beneath it. Philadelphia police found him on February 25, 1957, naked, wrapped in a blanket, stuffed inside a baby's bassinet box. It was headline news. Pictures and maps of the crime scene made front pages. Police even cleaned and dressed the boy to release his picture. Today, Sergeant Bob Kullmeyer is the third generation of Philadelphia police detectives to search for the boy's killer. To put a name on the child and, and to, to, uh, to solve the case, it's, yeah, it's, it's the ultimate in, in uh, police work. Through the years, police have followed so many leads. Something about a woman who ran an apartment during the time frame. Each dead end is buried inside these boxes. Has the public ever seen what's inside these boxes? Not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. The case files show police looked at carnival workers, Hungarian refugees, foster homes. Pictures taken in 1957 from the Fox Chase neighborhood where the boy was discovered show how much the world has changed and how little the case has. By 1998, DNA technology gave police new hope. They exhumed the boy's body and took a sample from a remaining tooth. They watched his reburial closely, paying attention to anyone attending. As Kullmeyer dug through 59 years of police work, he found the guest book from that day. A name stood out. There's a gentleman that, um, that we plan to talk to. 
It's all he'd say, another road to go down, perhaps another path to disappointment. But as we investigated the mystery, we found there are those who believe the boy's DNA offers hope. Those who say it could soon erase the word unknown. You think you've solved the case? I think I did. It makes the most sense when you look at all the facts. Two authors, Jim Hoffman near Los Angeles, Lou Romano outside New York, say they've traced the boy's family to Memphis, Tennessee. The only way I'm going to find out, Mitch, is if this, if this is a child, is the DNA evidence. Scientific evidence. While researching separate books, they paired two tips together. One from a woman claiming her mother bought and killed the boy. The other from a Philadelphia man claiming his family rented a home to a man who sold his son. They took a DNA sample from who they believe to be the boy's brother. We're not showing you his face or releasing his name because he was not interested in being a part of this story. We can show you this picture. The authors believe this is the unknown boy's father. We asked Philadelphia's former assistant medical examiner and current Montgomery County deputy medical examiner Greg McDonald to look at the pictures of the boy, his potential brother and father. There are some similarities to these pictures, um, enough similarity that I think is worthy of further investigation through some more specific laboratory tests. McDonald was working in the Philadelphia Forensic Lab in 1998 when the boy's remains were brought in and DNA extracted. The upper portion of uh, the ear that we call the helix is a little protuberant or pushes out. He saw something similar in his potential brother. His right ear points out in a similar way. So, so that is a potential uh, connection, genetic connection. McDonald showed us common traits among all three photographs. Some similarities in the facial structure, um, even the, the nose itself on uh, this, this young boy, the end of it's a little bit bulbous. Um, you can see a similar uh, feature present on his uh, potential uh, brother as well. Philadelphia police were well aware of the author's theory. Is this a good tip? It's, it's an average tip. Sergeant Kohlmeyer and his colleagues worked 280 homicides in 2015. He said they have to work fresh cases first, leaving little time to chase just any lead in a case 59 years cold. Do you plan to test the DNA? We're going to investigate further is what we're going to do. Toys and candy left at his grave prove the boy in the box is not forgotten, especially for those who see him every day. I hope one day, uh, there'll be a name on that stuff. So, yeah, in the video, you can kind of, well, we saw it digitally, but they do have a potential lead on somebody who yeah. could be related to him. I am actually kind of curious if anything came from it or is going to come from it. I mean, obviously, in the report, it also stated that they don't have a lot of time to really work this case, which yeah. I completely It'll understand. It'll take a long time, probably. But you know what? For this tip to even be investigated for a case that's 60 plus years old, like, yeah. good for them. At least they're still trying. Yeah. So, yep, that is the boy in the box case. I Love hope it. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. I hope you learned something new. And I would love, honestly, to hear your guys' theories on it. If you go to our Instagram, I'll be posting all the photos that we talked about today. All of them. I'll even post the photo of who they potentially think might have been the boy's father. Yes. So, go follow us at the Vow Files Pod and leave us a review on Apple. Yeah. See you next week. See you next week, suckers. Peace.